Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. As a society, we don't revere our elderly the way that other cultures do. Our reverence seems reserved for the young and beautiful. You just have to look at our system of aged care or even the attitude during the coronavirus pandemic. Only the old and ill will die and somehow that's okay. And it can feel that if you're a woman, once you turn 40, you also turn invisible. But a new book is turning all of that on its head. Untold Resilience is a book that looks to older women to understand how they have survived challenges in the past. Helen McCabe is the Managing Director of Future Women and the co-editor of Untold Resilience. Helen joins us now. Hi, Helen. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I noticed that this book is dedicated to all the grandmothers whose advice is missed, including your grandma, Queenie McCabe. Can you tell us a bit about Queenie and what you think you learnt from her? Oh, that is such a nice question to ask me. Um, I only really had knowledge of one grandparent and Queenie was it. And my family grew up on a farm and she was sure of your original matriarch figure. She was very respected, uh, a little bit feared. She had five sons. Um, She did have a daughter who passed away as an infant, uh, but pretty much raised boys and ran the property. She was the force and uh, very, very respected in the community and very respected by her family and her sons didn't dare <laughs> get out of line. So, I, you know, I was quite close to her. My father told me many years later that she probably would have liked to have been a journalist actually. And wow. she never got to see me be one. She she passed away as I was just starting out as a journalist. But I, I think I think that the impact of your grandparents is a bit like your DNA. You don't even think about it. It's just embedded in you from a very early age. And I think probably she taught me to be strong, to do what I wanted to do with my life, to believe I could do anything and uh, to not necessarily play by the rules, which is kind of what I've done. <laughs> um, so what do you think she could help you with right now? Were she here? I think she would be very no-nonsense about it. I think she would be saying that you get dealt a set of cards in life and you make the most of them and you make smart decisions in a row, like little ones. You don't make big smart decisions, you just make little smart ones like getting some sleep and getting a bit of exercise and being good to the people around you and if you do all those small things on a daily basis and take good care of yourself then it's a lot easier to make big decisions that uh, or it's much easier to face the the bigger decisions and and the bigger crisis that life might throw at you and she was very much of the view that you just got on with it and look I think I think the book uh, really is a testament to that in many cases. I think the generations above us are all a bit, particularly women, they're like so no-nonsense, like <laughs> stop your carry-on, just get up and do your job and, you know, and keep moving forward. And I think there's lots of that advice in the book and that was her approach. I mean, she was lucky. She, in a sense, she was born uh, in South Australia. She was to a very very loving and big family that took care of each other. She had a small bit of land that uh, her husband 
worked, so relatively speaking to the dist- people in the district, she was probably reasonably well off and they could afford to, spend their, afford to send their children to school. So in some way, to boarding school. So I think in some ways she had a pretty good start in life. There are a lot of women of her generation who found themselves in situations of poverty or family abuse or homeless or in, as it turns out, war zones and part of the Holocaust or in the middle of a war as it broke out just after they were born. So circumstances that were completely beyond their control. So I was acutely aware of how privileged my upbringing has been throughout this book. Mm. And um, I should go back a little to the actual idea of untold resilience because, you know, a lot of us were very discombobulated at the start of the coronavirus. A lot of us still are. Um, what made you decide to turn to these women in particular to kind of find a way forward? I I think there's two ways to answer that. One, when we launched Future Women, we were very, very conscious of not putting an age around it and of not defining ourselves by our age for all the reasons that you said in your introduction. Too often in this country, for reasons that I don't understand because I don't think it exists in other cultures, we just say, you're interesting between the age of 18 and 45 and then pretty much everything before and after that is sort of not as important. And uh, we were very conscious of saying we're about attitude, not age, and not defining. I often you know, make the point that Ida Butros is 78 and she's the chair of the ABC board. So often we put women out to pasture far earlier than they want to go or should go. So there's that piece. Then the second piece to it was, Uh, really driven by Jamila Rizvi a little bit. She has had some health concerns. She's the co-editor of the book. She's an extraordinary force of life. She's in her mid-30s, so there's a couple of decades difference between the two of us. Uh, And she had a moment in Melbourne where she was just overwhelmed with raising a small child in lockdown, trying to do her job and having a partner that was working full-time as well in a confined space. And it was at that point she really missed her nan and that was from there we began the conversation around the the wisdom of women that are a lot older than us we also felt that often history is told through the eyes of men and i can come back to that because we drew that out quite clearly in the chapters but we wanted to tell this phase in Australian history through the eyes of women. We didn't want to be constantly telling stories around around the lives of men. And so we wanted to go to the women and say to them, you know, how did they live through very difficult times and what was their advice to us generations later about how to get through what is a very difficult period for many of us. And what a gift, because when you say that, I just think of my own grandparents who have have long since gone and thinking, you know, I I wonder what they would say about certain things or um, I wish I knew more about how they raised their kids. I mean, look, I think probably in particular my own parents, I think, you know, I hope they're still around to help me with the teenage years when my kids are older because I know I was a rough teenager to raise. Um, but what an incredible gift that this book actually asks the questions that we probably wish we'd asked our grandparents. Oh, look, it was quite emotional at times for both Jamila and I and for the other writers. I mean, there are some very emotional moments in it. One of the women that I interviewed, um, Dot in Melbourne said that she had never been 
able to, or her, her, well, put another way, her grandchildren had never asked her any questions about herself. Wow. You know, they'd just taken her for granted. And she was a, she's a, um, pretty much a regular carer of a great-grandchild. And suddenly because, you know, a, a company was writing a book about her uh, and there was a publisher involved, the whole family had become electrified by the concept and by her story. And she said one of the bright side parts of doing, taking part in this project was being able to have a conversation with her grandchildren about what she lived through. And there was similarly with Alice Moshi, who I also interviewed, who lived through the most extraordinary set of circumstances. She was a bride at 15 or bride at 14 or 15, had a first baby at 15 uh, and was forced to flee Baghdad through the mountains to get to Turkey with six little girls and her husband. Uh, And her husband eventually passed away in a two-year journey to kind of get some stability for the family. But there was parts of that story that her family didn't know. And, you know, it was it's a deeply embedded piece of history for that family because there's six girls and then there's all of the people that helped them get to from Turkey to New to Greece to New Zealand and now they're a very successful family in in Sydney Uh, but they didn't know those stories so to be able to uncover them and tell them in the first person and to be privileged to sit at at the front row of a woman in her 60s or a woman in her 90s telling her life story was an enormously privileged enormously privileged for us to do it but it was also very emotional at times as you can imagine one woman Liz every single day she got out of bed she fought for the dignity and the quality of life of her little boy who was born with downs in the, in a time when people just turned the other way or didn't want to know about it or thought they should be institutionalized and every day she went to battle and every day she did something for him, you know, there'd be someone to to knock her and say he doesn't belong here or he doesn't deserve that. And, of course, now we fully understand that children should be brought into the mainstream education system with all sorts of um, challenges, but we certainly know that about Down's children and um, uh, and with other with other disabilities. But at that time in the in the 70s, that was just uh, unheard of. And I found that story very, very emotional to to hear of the lack of support that she had. And she and then she had to bury her husband, who eventually um, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so wow. she had to then so she finished caring for David and then she had to turn around and, and care for her her husband as well. So. That's resilience, right? That's Mm. pretty something. The other lesson in this, uh, and I don't want your listeners to be put off by this, but the other lesson in this is that just because you experience one setback in life does not mean you won't face another one. Mm. And so developing that resilience, whatever that is, however it is that gets you through, whether it be a death of a child or health or poverty or depression you do need to work on the resilience component because there could be another challenge around the corner and you did there's a quote in there I don't know I'm not sure who it was from but the definition of resilience was being knocked down eight times and getting up nine (laughs) I can tell you who that is that's that is Kate McGregor the extraordinary Kate McGregor who battled unimaginable demons uh, a very very strong addiction to alcohol and then realised that she was she was born a, a woman and went through the very difficult process of 
transing from um, male to female and in quite a public way because she was a high-profile political commentator. She is the epitome of being knocked down eight times and getting up nine and writes a very, very powerful piece about her battle with addictions. You were saying earlier about how many of these women, these were stories that they hadn't even spoken to their families about. Is that just tied up in that cultural aspect where both the elderly and especially older women become invisible? That we just, and women in particular as carers and nurturers, kind of become this unseen support, you know, until you stop doing the washing and cleaning the dishes and and organising all the play dates, that it's not fully realised that this caring, nurturing person is a human being with some really interesting stories to tell. I mean, do you think that was why it was these were stories that hadn't been told before? I think there are deep cultural reasons. That's right. And and the and I have friends that are all entering their 50s and in, in my case many of them have worked in the media. So to suddenly be invisible after a career of being in the media is really confronting. But I think what is born out in the book also is this sense that women still define themselves quite often by the men in their life. So there are a couple of chapters, more than a couple of chapters, where the woman has led an exceptional life and yet she defaults to talking about her husband or her father quite often. Wow. And we've tried to unpick that between ourselves and ask about whether generations you know, to come, that will really be the thing. But it's pretty common that if you married a good man, you feel very lucky and you talk about <laughs> it over and over again. Now, I don't, now I must admit that's still the case, right? But, but if you didn't, then you, you are still face enormous setback if you find that you married a dud and he was either having, you know, affairs or he was, um, was violent or controlling, etc. So there's only one woman in the entire book, Donna Meehan. I think she's towards the very end. And Donna is a, an Indigenous woman who was a, a victim of the stolen generation. And I think she's the only one who doesn't mention her husband or her father. Wow. In any, like in any great detail. So it really goes to structurally how uh, Indigenous women or First Nations people, Nations people really have a different kind of concept around, and I'm way out of my depth here and I'm sure I'm going to offend potentially someone who's much better informed on this, but seem to have a much stronger connection to their sisters and their aunts and the broader community and aren't as defined by the activities of that kind of singular male figure in their lives Mm. and so this for me was quite fascinating and I think equally there's the interest there's the interesting bit around the entire success of the family being dependent on the the father figure and so therefore his story is the one that's told and he's the one that's handed down uh, and that's sort of just culturally accepted and we probably all know and I challenge your listeners to think about this about your own family histories. I sort of know mine from the McCabe side and from the farming side and the fifth generation of farmers who lived in on the Adelaide Plains, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, only this morning I was reminded how little I actually have absorbed about my mother's side of the story. And I think that's just the way we 
in Australia and Western world has viewed our family histories. So we have tried to turn that on its head. Yeah, well, you definitely have. And it's such a such a great way to look at creating a book in this strange times we're living in. <laughs> so thank you so much for thinking of it and doing it. Um, and thanks for speaking with us today. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me. That's Helen McCabe. She's the Managing Director of Future Women and links to untold resilience can be found in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.